So it's page uh, 1069 in the Church Bibles, John 6, verse 1 to 24. We there? Right, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread to, for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with the five small, small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted to eat. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed over three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from the Tiberias landed there, the place where the people had eaten the bread. 
After the Lord had given thanks, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Sonia, so much for reading. Do keep your Bibles open. And uh, good morning and welcome uh, to St Anne's uh, this morning. If you're new with us um, this morning, it might be worth saying again that we're uh, in the third week of our four-part series, uh, the, The Way to Eternal Life in John's Gospel. Let me say that this passage is an absolute cracker. Um, I had loads of fun um, uh, doing a bit of work on that and uh, this, this week, and uh, I hope you find the same. Well, the question I'd like to begin with this morning is this. What kind of saviour is Jesus? What kind of saviour is Jesus? The words Jesus and saviour go hand in hand, don't they? They roll off the tip of our tongues when singing our favourite songs at church. My Jesus, my saviour. But what does that mean? What kind of saviour is Jesus? Perhaps we see Jesus the saviour as a genie in a lamp. Jesus the genie and our wish is his command. Maybe we'd like Jesus to be the saviour of our upcoming job interview or our upcoming exams. I know I always used to say a quick prayer before my GCSEs. Perhaps we long for Jesus to be the saviour of Israel or of Palestine. Perhaps we just long for Jesus to save them from all of this hurt and misery in Gaza. Perhaps we long for Jesus to be the saviour from our personal suffering, suffering here and now. I know many of us are suffering physically, suffering mentally, suffering in marriage, suffering in singleness, suffering in bereavement, suffering financially, suffering at home, suffering at school. Perhaps we all long for Jesus to be our saviour from all of these things, things that may cripple us here and now. But what kind of saviour is Jesus? Well, thankfully, our text this morning, our Bible uh, passage this morning, John chapter 6, addresses exactly what kind of saviour Jesus is. And despite the gravity of the things that we mentioned just now, we're going to find out that Jesus is so good, he's so compassionate, he completely blows all our categories out of the water, that he's the saviour, saviour God of, dare I say, something much bigger. And he wants you to trust him this morning, wherever you're at this morning. Our passage splits into two, and we're going to be tackling it in two parts. And so you'll find a short outline there on your handout in front of you um, and on the screen. So what kind of saviour is Jesus? Well, point one, some think he's the saviour from our physical needs now. Some think he's the saviour from our physical needs now. And that's not hard to see, is it, as a, as a great crowd gathers to see Jesus' power to save right at the start of the passage. Let's read from chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed 
to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because he saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Now, it was like this crowd were gathering for another episode of Israel's Got Talent. And they wanted to experience, they wanted to witness the carpenter from Nazareth who could perform mighty miracles. They wanted Saturday night entertainment from the man who could perform spectacular tricks. But Jesus had, had, had come to perform a particular sign, and it's a famous one. A miracle that echoed God's great provision in the wilderness all those generations ago. And one that's captured the hearts and minds of Sunday schools across the world. That's right, it's when Jesus fed the 5,000. Now we all know the story, don't we? Huge crowd, would have taken about half, the salary, half, a, half a year's salary to buy enough food, so that's about 16 or 17 grand. And they all, all they had was a boy's packed lunch. Five loaves, five barley loaves, and a couple of fish. And then miraculously, everybody, over 5,000 people, had as much as they wanted. And then they ended up with 12 baskets full of leftovers. It was an extraordinary miracle that Jesus performed. It was a picture of abundance and a picture of Jesus saving people from their physical need. But sometimes I think we can um, let the event of it actually pass us over, drift us over, without stopping to consider actually just how extraordinary it is. And just to illustrate just how extraordinary it is, and just to, uh, just to get the, uh, an idea of the quantities involved, I've actually got the contents of the small boy's uh, packed lunch. Here we are. We've got a classic first century packed lunch here. Um, and I've got something similar to a barley loaf. Um, I guess this is the closest I could find. Um, here we are. And it's, it's important to add, actually, as well, that a barley loaf is a little bit like a flatbread or a pita bread. Um, it's not like your Hovis uh, soft white or your, um, your, your hipster kind of sourdough. So this is what we were looking at. And this was meant to actually um, be fed to a thousand people, this uh, barley loaf here. Um, so we're going to take a tenth of that. So I've cut that beforehand. Look, look at what I made earlier. Here we are. We've got a tenth of that uh, barley loaf here. But actually, what we're going to do, so this is for um, a tenth of that, because there's, there's supposed to be for a thousand. There's about just over a hundred of us. So what we're actually going to do, we're going to try and feed, um, we're going to try and distribute that within our congregation here. So we're going to cut that up into four sections to represent the four sections of the church here. So here we are, just need a couple of volunteers, I'm going to come around actually. Um, so what we need to do, we need to divide this up, I'm going to pick if people are dreading this, but Kate, I'm going to ask you, Kate, can you actually just divide this up into all of the people in your, um, in your area or your table and say, why is it you up for this? No. Um, well, no, we'll go for James. Do you mind just actually um, sharing that? It's got to go round and they've got to be full and satisfied. Um, Toby, do you fancy doing it? No? Okay, here we are. Who fancies it? Danielle, you definitely fancy doing it. <laughs> do you mind actually just sharing that? So everyone needs to be full and satisfied, actually. Um, and also, yeah, there we go. Jay, um, John, could you uh, share that within your area? There we go. You've got about 20 seconds or so. Um, you've got to make sure that everybody in your area is full and satisfied. Um, no, it's just this area here, but yeah, go around. You've got, got 10 seconds, you've got 10 seconds quickly. Let's go. 10 seconds, chop, chop. 
Um, well, you don't have to, no. You don't have to eat it. We don't want any crumbs, people. <laughs> don't leave any crumbs. Don't leave any crumbs. So you make sure it might be the only thing. There we go. Everyone full? Don't worry. If you can't full, if you can't actually, um, if you can't get round to everybody, that's totally fine. It's just to illustrate, actually, um, how extraordinary this miracle was. It was the most miraculous spring and share lunch, actually, because uh, one boy brought his lunch and Jesus was able to share it with 5,000 people and everyone was full. Remember, this was a public miracle done in the open and it was verifiable. There were more than 5,000 people who saw it. And one of the eyewitnesses was John, the, the author of this gospel. And he includes very specific eyewitness details, like naming people um, who, who were there. So Philip and Andrew, or the name of the specific crop, uh, barley, the barley loaf being used. All of these details could have been contested and dismissed if it didn't really happen. The whole thing's amazing, isn't it? But what's this miracle all about, though? Some suggest that Jesus always provides abundantly for us. Others suggest that Jesus is the saviour from our physical needs here and now. But as lots of us know or may have experienced, sometimes he, he doesn't always provide abundantly for our physical needs now. So what does our Bible text say, have to say about this? Well, there were some in the crowd, weren't there, who knew that there was something special about Jesus. They wanted to make him saviour of their needs here and now. Read with me from verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they, said, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It's not every day you see someone performing these kinds of miracles. They knew that Jesus was someone special, but they didn't understand who Jesus was. And they didn't understand what he'd come to do. And so they wanted to make him king, saviour, but they wanted to force the pace. They wanted to set the agenda. They're saying, Jesus, the king, he's the saviour. But the, their concept of saviour was way too small. They were looking to be saved from the Romans. But Jesus withdrew. He had a way better plan. If Jesus isn't the saviour who's going to lead them out of Roman oppression, the saviour from my needs here and now, well, what kind of saviour is Jesus? Well, that leads me to my next point. Point one, some people think that Jesus is the saviour from our physical needs now. But point two, he is the saviour God from our biggest need eternally. He's the saviour God from our biggest need eternally. Now, it's far from plain sailing for Jesus' disciples. They were struggling in a boat, in a storm, fighting the wind and the waves. It began in verse 16, where we read that, that evening came and his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. 
By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. Now, now note um, the detail in, at the end of verse 17. Two things that I think are really important for us. Number one, it was dark. And then you see Jesus, number two, had not yet joined the disciples in the boat. Now, you must remember that physical darkness in John's Gospel is symbolic of spiritual darkness, a kind of lack of understanding. We meet it first in chapter 3, when the Pharisee Nicodemus approached Jesus. You don't have to turn there now, but chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night when it was dark, and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God. But despite his claim to know stuff, as we read on in the story, it becomes very clear that Nicodemus doesn't know very much at all about Jesus. See, he's in the dark spiritually as well as physically. And John is saying the same thing here in verse 17. It was dark physically, dark because, we're, because they were out in the lake well into the evening. And being in the dark physically is symbolic of their spiritual darkness. And I guess that now makes a lot of sense of their previous episode in verses 14 and 15. They intended to make him king by force. It makes sense of their lack of understanding because they were in the dark. The second thing worth noticing um, in verse 17 is that Jesus had not yet joined them in the boat. Because it seems that being away from Jesus is synonymous with being in the dark. But the question is, what is Jesus going to do about it? Well, listen to verse 18. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, he saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. This is another famous miracle, isn't it? Jesus walking on water. And some of you may have noticed that this whole, the whole of this passage this morning is popping with references to the Bible's most famous rescue story of all, the Exodus. The people of Israel were trapped, locked in the land of Egypt, and enslaved under a cruel regime. But then God broke them out. And as they marched out of the house of slavery into freedom, as they marched through the night towards freedom in front of them, this great blazing fiery pillar to take them through the night, a new home. In the Exodus, God showed them that he was a mighty saviour. A mighty saviour that commands the darkness. A mighty saviour that commands the wind and the waves. A mighty saviour that enabled his people to cross the Red Sea. Let's read from verse 18 again. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. You see, they're in the dark, aren't they? 
but Jesus commands the blowing winds and the rough waters, just like he did in the Exodus. And then he approaches them and says, it is I, don't be afraid. Jesus defines himself, it is I, as it, as it is I. Jesus defines himself as the great I am. The name Jesus famously revealed to Moses at the burning bush. When God said this to Moses, it means I am who I am. Jesus is saying that he is the Exodus God. It's hugely important that we understand this, isn't it? Because after witnessing the feeding of the 5,000, people have been trying to define him as a saviour for their own needs. What kind of saviour is Jesus? Well, he's not the saviour of our physical needs now, although he can and often does save us from these things. No, Jesus defines himself as the saviour God from our biggest need, our darkness, our sin. Now, this is a rescue story, isn't it? And Jesus is our saviour in the most monumental way. The truth is that the creator God, the one who spoke all light and life into the world, has come into this world to rescue people like you and me out of the dark. And you might ask yourself, well, why is the dark such a bad place to be? All the things that we need saving from in this life here and now, well, the dark is a much worse place to be eternally. And Jesus can save us from that. Jesus is showing all of the signature moves of the Exodus God. But the Exodus God is not just a mighty saviour. He is a gracious saviour. And perhaps the key to this is in the backdrop of our passage. And we need to see that right at the start of our passage, verse 4, because the Jewish Passover was near. Now, if you're not familiar with this, the Jewish Passover is a festival where people remember that the lamb died instead of them. It's God's people. It's amazing, isn't it, that the God who is a mighty saviour is also a gracious saviour. That Israel were not spared from the angel of death because they were better than the Egyptians, but because in God's grace, there was a lamb that died in their place. That was why they were spared. And here we have Jesus, our mighty saviour God, our gracious saviour God, doing the same. And Jesus accomplishes his rescue by sacrificing himself, by dying. See, the most ultimate way Jesus shows that he is the mighty and gracious saviour is by dying. Jesus was our Passover lamb when he died for us on the cross. And our passage today, at this point in John, is foreshadowing that. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that Jesus offers us a rescue, not because of anything that we've ever done, not because we're better than anyone else, but because of his grace. And he offers us that rescue this morning. Now, maybe it's just at this point where um, you start to get annoyed with Christian preachers and perhaps you're starting to feel annoyed with me because there's nothing quite so irritating, is there, than an unnecessary rescue. 
Imagine the situation um, where you're at the Olympic 200 meter freestyle final and you're watching one of the great Olympians, Michael Phelps, uh, powering up and down uh, the pool, uh, smashing Olympic records on his way to gold and glory and Olympic world record times. And then some kid, some 17-year-old kid with a red and yellow uh, t-shirt with a summer job, jumps off the chair from the side of the pool with a noodle in his hands and he grabs Michael Phelps by, by his neck and he puts this noodle around him. He says, it's okay, I'll take you home. Get off, get off, what are you doing? There's nothing more irritating than an unnecessary rescue story. Maybe when we start talking about rescues, perhaps you think, well, look, I don't need that. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you need a rescue, but that's not for me. But I guess it's also true, isn't it, that if you've ever spent any time with children, you'll know that it's possible, possible to uh, be completely confident that you don't need saving when actually you're in dire need of help. The truth is, we're all in the dark without Jesus. It may be that you know that here this morning, that you know that you're in the dark. And that, and it may be that you know that all is sorrow and sadness and despair. And can I say, if that is you this morning, then the Lord Jesus approaches you and says, it is I, don't be afraid. Jesus is bringing a better rescue than the one in Egypt. A better rescue than the, the relief that we need in this life now. A better rescue than sometimes we even think we need. Jesus, the Saviour God, approaches you and says, it is I, don't be afraid. Maybe you came this morning because you're genuinely interested in Jesus and the life that he gives you. And well, this message is for you. Maybe you came this morning because, well, you've got no interest in Christianity or Jesus at all, but you wanted to honour a family member or a mate. Well, this message is for you. Maybe you could have never imagined at all, even under any circumstances, being a follower of Jesus or a Christian. Well, this message is for you. Maybe you've walked away from Jesus and could never imagine that he would ever want you back. Well, this message is for you. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you long for Jesus to save you from your personal suffering. Well, this message is for you. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to come to him and believe in all that he's done and all that he's achieved through dying on the cross. Jesus approaches you and says, it is I, don't be afraid. You've been rescued by me. What kind of saviour is Jesus? He's not the saviour of our physical needs now. He's the saviour God of our biggest need eternally. Let me pray. It is I, don't be afraid. Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed to us that uh, 
you are not just um, a saviour for our needs here and now. You are the saviour God um, who provides us with a rescue unimaginable. And Father, we do pray that we would, everyone in this room, would trust in you and would see you as our saviour God um, who provides the, the, the real need um, that we need. And we pray that wherever we're at this morning, we might do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.